Amen. Thank you for that. That was great. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. I want to talk with you today on this matter of seeing the invisible. You needn't turn to it, but in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so in order to see the invisible, you need faith. In that same chapter, speaking about Moses, in verse 27, it says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And we know he did it by faith. How many wish that uh, they were smarter than they are? Raise your hand if you wish you were smarter and had more wisdom. Uh, most everyone raised their hand that time. Um, I sure wish I had more smarts and more wisdom than what I do. I sure wish that often I could see the invisible things uh, easier and quicker than what I do. Um, I think that we can do that by faith. That's what I want to talk with you about today, is seeing the invisible. And we'll begin with prayer and ask God to increase our faith. Heavenly Father, this matter of faith, we know it's your will for our lives because you've written more than once, the just shall live by faith. You've written us in so many uh, verses that teach us about faith and verses that give us examples of men and women who served you and lived for you and did great things by faith. Lord, every day our lives are over that much more. And there's another day gone by, another day, another day. One day there won't be any more days and our life on earth will be done. Father, for the next number of days that we have left here on the planet. Help us to make the most of them by faith. Increase our faith today. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would use the scriptures and maybe the examples that we'll talk of and use them to encourage us to live by faith every day. For your honor and glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, way back in uh, 1932, two young men met for the first time, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And uh, these two guys hit it off. They had the right chemistry, and they uh, were interested in works of fiction. And um, Jerry was a writer, and Joe was an illustrator. And they, they did some various works uh, on their own, but they remained friends. And through the years, they came up with an idea. And, um, well, let's see here. Do we have uh, that first picture of that old actor? There, that's, that's Harold Lloyd. He's uh, an old uh, actor in the movies. And... Uh, Jerry and Joe considered this guy as um, one, one half of the, the fictional character they wanted to create. 
And then do you have that next picture? That's Douglas Fairbanks Jr. in the part of what? Anyone know? Zorro. There he is under the mask and all that. And they considered him. Both of these two actors had a powerful influence upon Jerry and Joe as they, they came up with their own invention. And the invention they came up with is this next picture. Clark Kent. Superman, one and the same. And Jerry and Joe were the inventors of Superman. And we have a more modern picture, I think, of what uh, Superman sort of looks like today, I suppose. He's grown up a little bit. But the fictional character of Superman was invented by Jerry and Joe. And they sold it to DC Comics that happened to own Action Comics. And that's where it made its uh, first appearance in April of 1938. Okay, you can send him back to Krypton there. Thank you. <laughs> Superman is this fictional character. The whole world knows about Superman, his great strength, and his ability to see through things. He's got x-ray vision, right? And he can see through anything, I think, except lead. He can't see through lead. And so if you're hiding behind a piece of lead, he won't be able to see you. But anything else, he can see right through. And he's got this x-ray vision. There's a lot of people today that wish they were Superman. They wish they had his powers and strength and ability to fly and all this other stuff. By the way, in the early days of Superman, he couldn't fly. All he could do was leap. And he could leap tall buildings. And that, that's made its way into part of the folklore. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. And... Uh, able to leap tall buildings, and um, more powerful than what? Locomotive, faster than a speeding bullet. Yeah, you're crazy too, just like me. And uh, crazy stuff, huh? all fiction, all fiction. Uh, but a lot of people wish they had x-ray vision. If someone had x-ray vision, they would lose all their friends instantly, overnight. They wouldn't have any more friends, would they? No one wants to be around someone that has x-ray vision. Aren't you glad your neighbor doesn't have x-ray vision? They can't see into your home and look at all the fighting that goes on and all of the craziness and stuff. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that no one has the ability to kind of look into your soul and know everything about you? Aren't you glad for that? God has a few powers that he reserves to himself. But this idea, this concept of seeing the invisible... Sort of like spiritual x-ray vision. Now, I, I, I know we just had a little fun there with Superman. But we have to leave the comics alone. But I do want to talk about reality. And really, honestly, as God is my witness, any Christian, born-again Christian man or woman, can see the invisible. We do it by faith. I think that's an exciting way to live, if you ask me. I've been saved now over 44 years, and I've spent pretty much most of the time trying to see the invisible, trying to understand the things of God and how they work. I've spent that time, I hope, wisely. <clears throat> However, sooner or later, I think everyone in life realizes that there are not only things visible, but there are things invisible as well. 
There really are invisible things of light. It tells us that in the Bible, in Colossians chapter 1, it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So the Bible tells us that there are not only visible things in this world, there are invisible things in this world as well. Even as we sit here today in God's house, there are certain things that are visible and there are certain things that are invisible. We cannot see them. Now, I'll give you a few examples. A human brain is a visible thing, if you open up the skull, of course. It's a visible thing, but an idea is an invisible thing. Do you see the difference? You can see and touch a human brain, but you can't physically see and touch an idea. And yet it's just as real. We all have these things. Uh, we have dreams. And we wake up, and you know how quickly a dream goes, right? When you first wake up, it's kind of like, oh, you have one of those experiences that my dream. And then with all within a matter of seconds, it vanishes. And you're thinking, oh, what was it? Oh, and, and maybe your husband or wife says, what, what is it? What is it? Oh, honey, oh, oh, you should have been there. Oh, it was, what was it? <laughs> That's the world of dreams. And we can't say that dreams are not real because they are. We have them, all of them. So are nightmares too, unfortunately. You know, uh, a person falling down, you see someone fall, plop. That's a visible thing. But the force of gravity that pulled them down is an invisible thing. You cannot see that. Someone sticks a fork in the electrical outlet, you know, or maybe they're trying to get the toast out of their toaster or something with their fork, or they do something dumb. And, well, that's a, vis a visible thing, a, a physical visible thing. You can see that. You can see the person get electrocuted. Fool. But the actual principle of electricity is invisible. You can't see it. Where the atoms move, it's invisible. You cannot see it. Whatever it is, the force of electricity is totally invisible. They can see the presence of atoms with electron microscopes, but they cannot see the electricity. It's invisible. Um, a human body is a visible thing, but the soul and the spirit are invisible. So there are visible things, there are invisible things. In Romans 1 and 20, it tells us that some of the invisible things of God can be seen, clearly seen, by the visible creation. God's invisible wisdom and his designing beauty can be seen in the beauty of nature. Most everyone has a cell phone. That cell phone illustrates the designing creativity and beauty of the manufacturer. And someone will come out with a brand new cell phone and, and here's what mine can do. And we all say, oh, I want one of those. And then six months later, a year later, someone else will come out with another cell phone. And this thing will just about hop out of your hand and walk across the table and we'll all say, oh, I want one of those. Boy, technology. I've been watching technology for the last number of years, and wowee, I'm thrilled by it. I grew up with a certain amount of technology, and so do you. Our great-great-great-grandparents, you know, they, they didn't have um, 
televisions in their home. They didn't have telephones on their wall. And By the way, when we were at the church in Kamloops for the BC Preachers Conference, I was downstairs and I went to go upstairs and oh, right there on the wall was this black box this big and it had this rotary dial with all these holes in it. And it had what looked to be some kind of earpiece or headphone piece that sat on the side of it. Someone told me it was the telephone. One of those old things. And then they told me it really works. And I was really surprised. We've all lived with a certain amount of technology, but boy, lately it really seems to be escalating, it seems. Now, Christian people throughout their lives need to be learning to see the invisible more and more and more. Our eyesight isn't designed to last forever. And many of us experience eye trouble where we need corrective lenses or corrective surgeries. I remember old brother Tommy Walker, he had to go and get eye injections right into his eyeball. Every few months he had to go and get these, these injections. He would tell me about it and I'd feel this Woo, tingle up my spine. It gave me the willies. Oh, when he would describe it to me, getting needles in the eyeball. But he had to have it in order to have at least a little bit of sight. Our physical sight may fail us, but our spiritual sight needs to be getting brighter and stronger and more clear and more definite. Right? Hello? Yeah. Yeah. The just shall live by faith. And by faith we can see the invisible. And that's where I want to get in with you today on this subject here. Uh, the Bible is an example. Um, before I was saved, the Bible to me was just a, a, a dusty old book of words you couldn't understand. And maybe it was written by people who centuries, thousands of years ago might meant something, but doesn't mean much today. That was my, my vision of the Bible. After I got saved, that vision changed. Now I began to see the Bible in a new light. Now, how many have experienced that? Before you were saved, you didn't really think the Bible would meant anything. But now that you're saved, boy, the Bible is an exciting, important book. That's a lot of hands. That's a lot of hands. Because now we can see by faith the invisible God. By faith with the Bible, we can see heaven. We can see hell. We can see the workings of God, his invisible fingers working in the hearts of men and in nations. It's amazing. This Bible, it, it contains a wealth uh, of treasures. It contains every answer for every problem we could have. It speaks to our hearts. It comforts us. It reproves us when we go wrong. It strengthens us in the way in which we should go. It teaches us about God and so much more and all this because of faith. Faith gave us the ability to see the Bible in a new light. Christians all over the world all have a little bit, at least a little bit, of the ability to see the invisible. Every Christian does. I, I think of Goliath. When Goliath, that nine foot six inch giant, came and threatened the armies of Israel... The Jews, all they saw was this giant of a man. And they trembled. And they kept away from him. But young David, as a teenager, he not only saw the giant, but he saw that which is invisible. He saw the power of Almighty God. And so he took after that giant with a slingshot. You know the story. 
I think of King Saul. And King Saul was looked upon as the visible king of Israel. And when Saul was persecuting David and wanting to kill him, David had a band of men with him. And David had once, twice opportunity to have Saul killed or kill him himself. His men wanted to kill Saul so that David could be king. But David saw something invisible that his men didn't see. You see, David not only saw Saul as king, but David saw the invisible. He saw that Saul was the anointed of God. And he would not put his hand out and touch the anointed of God. That's an important principle. In Psalm 119, David wrote, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. God is wanting to show you and me wondrous things out of the Bible. There are more things than what one life can hold. You will never plumb the depth of that wonderful God-breathed book right there. You need to be pouring over the Bible every day and asking God, please open the eyes of my understanding. If you do that, God will answer that prayer because that's a good prayer and it'll bring God glory and pleasure to show you great and wonderful things. And so that book right there is so indispensable. We need faith. We need the word of God. And God is wanting to show us so much more, the invisible things. And it's only as we exercise faith in the Bible, in the word, that God will open our eyes and allow us to see things we didn't see before. Now listen, if I could help you today to see a few invisible things, would you be glad you came to church today? Amen? Would that be worth it? Well, I'd like to introduce you to a few invisible things. Number one is parents. Parents. Did I hear him right? Did he say parents? Yes, he did. He said parents. Young people see the visible human beings that birthed them into the world. That's what young people see. But God wants the young people to see the invisible. There's an invisible aspect to parents. Parents are God's authority and protection in the home that he gives to the young people. So when you bless your parents, you are really blessing Almighty God who gave you those parents. Conversely, when you hurt your parents, you are hurting Almighty God who gave you those parents. You will only see this invisible truth by faith in the word of God. In Deuteronomy 5, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Some people say, well, that's Old Testament, isn't it? And my answer is, hey, you're smart. That's right. Came right out of Deuteronomy, the Old Testament. But you'll also find it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. You'll find it in both. You'll find it in all of God's Bible is what I'm saying. And so there's one invisible aspect right there. Now on the heels of that, I want to give you invisible aspect number two. The children. The children. There's an invisible aspect to the children. Many parents only see the visible offspring that cause them times of joy and times of heartache. And that's all they tend to see is the, invis is the visible offspring. But God wants all parents 
to see the invisible aspect of the children, the valuable treasures that will help the parents become successful in life. Say, how do you know that? Psalm 127 verse 4 says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. A mighty man on the, on the battlefield has to have those arrows. If all he has was a bow, he's not going to win many wars. Here, take this, you nasty man. And he, he throws his bow at him. No, he's got a bow, but he needs arrows. And the children are like arrows in the hand of a mighty man who knows what to do. Now, there's definitely two sides of the street. As children need the parents, so those parents need the children as well. My children need me, but I need my children as well in order to learn the lessons God has for me. It's because of the children, I think, that I've learned some exciting and incredibly good lessons in life. Things like patience, things like hope and faith and love. Through my children, I've been able to enter into their world with them. Get down on the floor and underneath the kitchen table and have games and play fort and all kinds of things like that. Boy, that's been good experience for me, I'll tell you. But I've learned other things from my children as well. Listen, I've learned lessons that I still hold valuable today as a Christian because of my children. That's the invisible aspect that God wants me to learn. So very important here. Uh, I'll give you another one. Number three. Uh, this may apply perhaps more to the young people, but it's future husband or wife. And so if you're here today, you're a young person, and you're uh, not yet married, you don't have yet a husband or wife, uh, then this is definitely for you. Young people, they, they tend to see the visible crowds of available humanity. Ooh, there goes another one. Ooh, here comes one. There goes two. Here's a group of three. Ooh, here's a gaggle of boys. Ooh, look at them all. And uh, so the young people will see, well, she looks available, he looks available. That's the visible. You say, well, what is the invisible? The invisible is the one God is hiding. Did you know that out of all the boys, available boys in the world, God has picked one. There's only one right choice for that young lady. That means that everyone else is a mistake. Oh, they're, they're not a mistake for their right mate, but for this one young lady, there's only one right choice. For this young man, there's only one right choice. This idea the world has of going out there and playing the field, that's not of God. This idea of going out and dating as many as you can, this is not of God. God has that choice already made. We need to wait upon the Lord and seek God's counsel, and through parent and pastor and close godly friend, and we need to wait on the Lord, and then God brings the two together. And we've got example after example in the Bible about that. And so there's the visible, and then there's the invisible, for the future husband or the future wife. So very important. You know, in Genesis 2, verse 22, it says, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. God is able to bring her your way. God is able to bring him your way. I believe God gets more glory for that when God does the miracle. And by the way, for those who are married here today, I want to remind you that uh, wives, you will obey God 
as you obey your husband. And husbands, you will honor God as you honor your wife. Keep that in mind. That would save a lot of heartache, don't you think? Well, I'll give you another one here. And it's uh, a little thing called church. Church. Now, many people, when they come to church, they just see the visible uh, uh, crowd of people gathered together in a building. Now, we don't have any stained glass. We don't have a big steeple out there. We don't have a big bell, you know, in our belfry or any. We don't even have a belfry. But even if we had all of that stuff, people looking upon, driving by and looking upon, what would they see? They'd see the building. Maybe through the windows, they'd see some people. If they came in to visit, they'd see the crowd. Maybe there's someone tuned in today watching our services, listening to me preach. And uh, all they're aware of is a pastor and a bunch of people. To them, that's the, the church. That's the visible. Now, they're not wrong. They're not wrong, but that's only half the equation. Because there's not only a visible, but there's an invisible part of the church. And that invisible part is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. That's why some people, when they they go to an event, uh, maybe a sports event or a social event or something, you know, they'll have a a nice time, whatever. But they come to a a church where the people are saved and the Bible is preached. Sometimes they'll they'll have this strange feeling. They'll walk out, say, I got to get out of here. Got to get out of here. I don't know what it is, but I got to get out of here. What it is, is the presence of Jesus Christ amongst the people. That's the invisible portion of the church. You see, there's a visible and an invisible. And as believers, I think we all realize this one, don't we? That Christ is here. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. The Lord Jesus is in the house today. Just as you could say the soul is the invisible part and the spirit which animates the body, so also we've got the physical visible part, but the invisible is Jesus who gives us life. It's a wonderful thing to get around other believers, other Christians. It's so very important, folks, that we make sure that we are in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. This is important. If Satan can trip you up, one of the first ways he'll do it is to keep you out of church. And he has 117 excuses why you should not go to church. Look how beautiful it is outside. You can't go to church on a day like this. Or he might say, look how horrible and stormy it is outside. You certainly can't go to church on a day like this. Then he might say, hey, it's going to be the, uh, the big playoffs of the game. You can't go to church. You might miss, you might miss something. Oh, he'll give you another reason. Uh, Aunt Matilda comes to visit you. Can't go to church because Aunt Matilda comes. Um, the dog got sick and threw up. And it's, it, it seems okay now, but we better all stay home and watch the dog and make sure that it's going to be okay. And we wouldn't dream of doing that on Monday when there's work and school. Well, Fido, you're just going to have to text us if you have a problem. You know, here, I'll leave a cell phone in your crib here. And I'm off to work. She's off to work. The kids are off to school. We're all on our different ways. But when it's the Lord's day, isn't it amazing? Can't go to church. Got to stay home and keep an eye on Fido. Make sure that, you know, he doesn't have a flea or something like that. I believe that Jesus died for the church. And Jesus lives for the church. He prays for the church. The church is like his body. And when we separate ourselves from the church, it's like you lose a hand, an arm, or a limb, or something. That's you out there 
flopping around without a body. We need to be stuck into the body. We need to be part of the body. Very important. I'll give you another one. It's sort of related to the church. There's a physical, a visible, and an invisible aspect. But it's your pastor. It's a little difficult for me to deal with this one for obvious reasons. Many people, when they come to church, they'll see the pastor standing there, maybe ministering uh, to the, the people, maybe preaching a sermon. That's the visible. That's what you can see. What you cannot see, what is invisible and what God wants you to see is that the pastor is the under-shepherd in place for Jesus, the great shepherd. If Jesus Christ were here physically, he'd be preaching the sermon. He would be the one like, like remember the Sermon on the Mount? Huh? And we'd all sit down at his feet and he would teach us the lesson and we'd all be taking notes and listening and none of us would be absent and none of us would fall asleep. We'd listen to the master. But he's not here physically. That's why he puts pastors in churches. Pastors are known as the under-shepherds. And so what you're looking at is an under-shepherd. It says in 1 Peter 5, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory. He's talking to the pastors. If there's a chief shepherd, there's an under-shepherd. That's the pastor, is the under-shepherd. And so the Bible reveals to us that a pastor is God's man, sent by God to care for the sheep and to shepherd the flock. Now, by blessing the under-shepherd, you bless the chief shepherd, Jesus. By hurting the under-shepherd, that's the pastor, you hurt the chief shepherd, that's Jesus. That's just the long and short of it, folks. That's the visible and the invisible. And by faith, you can see that. I want to give you another one here, and that's called tithing. Tithing. Some people only see the visible departure of money out of their wallet. That's all they see. Tithing. Some people even try and look for spiritual reasons why they shouldn't tithe. You can go on the internet and you can go to websites that will tell you you are sinning against God if you tithe. And I've seen those websites and I've looked at their crazy theology and I'm telling you they really have to jump through hoops to try and twist the word of God to say such things. If God wasn't in tithing, he wouldn't be honoring it. His promise was, try me, prove me, saith the Lord, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. And so many, 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 many Christians down through the years that have tithed have found God's word to be true. God does honor them. God does bless them. It's so true. Listen, I, I started tithing before I got saved because I read it in the Bible. The tithing brought me to a local church where I heard the gospel and where people prayed for me and four months later I got saved. So I've been tithing a long time. You can't tell me tithing is no good. I got saved by it. So that's okay, isn't it? But it's that and it's much more. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And when you take a portion of your treasure, 10%, and you honor deity with it, you honor the one true living God with 10%, you will find God will bless that back to you. You honestly, honestly will. And I don't know who tithes here and who doesn't tithe. I don't know. I don't want to know. It's not my business. That's between you and God. But I can promise you this. If you're not tithing, you're missing out on the windows of heaven open for you. 
you'll never know how many closed windows and closed opportunities and missed blessings you've had because you haven't tithed. God's promise is bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith saith the Lord of hosts if I will not open unto you to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. <clears throat> Some people, again, they say, oh, no, that's, that's Old Testament. See, that's Old Testament. Yeah. So as thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not commit adultery. That's Old Testament too, folks. Don't forget that. Just because it's found in the Old Testament doesn't mean that it's not good for today. You take it by faith. That's how you take it. You know, for some people, tithing doesn't make logical sense. I know, I understand that. And listen, neither does marching around Jericho once a day for seven days, you know, and the walls come tumbling down. That doesn't make any sense either. But God's ways are above our ways, and we just need to trust Him. Now, it's so important, folks, while I, before I leave the subject, that I mention our faith promise. Many of us here today have made out a card and we put it up on a wall there. Our card is on the wall. Our faith promise. We made a vow, a promise by faith to God that we would give this much money above and beyond our tithes to support our missionaries. And I don't know what anyone gives. I don't want to know. I only know what I give. I give every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. 52 Sundays a year. That's how I divide up my giving. I like it that way. Because when I come into the house of God, I get to give him a piece of my heart. I get to give him a piece of my soul. I get to, I get to give to him. And that's why I like doing it weekly. But that's just me. But I got a card up there too. And I'm doing my part. And I'm just saying, if we make a promise to God, let's keep it. Because we make promises to God and we renege on them. We may find that God will get our attention Need to close up the windows a bit. Just a word to the wise there. I got to move on. I know that. But this is one of the invisible things. And it's only seen by faith. Baptism and membership is another invisible aspect. Some people don't see the value of being baptized after they're saved. Or being a member of the church. God wants them to see that by so doing. He will bless them. We don't get baptized so much for our own sake as we do for honoring the Lord. It's a public stand we take for Jesus. We don't become members so much for our own sake as we do for God's glory. And when we honor Him and glorify Him in these simple ways, God starts to bless it back to us. 1 John 3.22 says, And whatsoever we ask, now this is prayer, when we pray to God and we ask Him, to save our, our boy or our girl. We ask him to lead us to the job of his choosing. We ask him to, to heal something in our body. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Because, listen, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. God has given us in the Bible certain commands. And when we do those, say, well, is there anything left? Yes. There are certain things that God hasn't put in the Bible, per se, but we, we know from biblical principle and from the moving of the Spirit in our heart that it's something He'd like us to do, to get involved and do a ministry, to do something for Him. And when we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight, 
We have full assurance, full authority, folks, to go to God and pray for those things that we feel necessary. It's a wonderful way to pray. Baptism and membership, I believe, bring honor and glory to God. When we please God, He loves to bless us in ways that would not, we would not normally be blessed. But in order to please God, we need faith in the invisible. And lastly, is of course salvation. It's possible that you may be here today and never been born again. Maybe you've heard about this word salvation, but perhaps it doesn't mean a whole lot to you. Well, it's probably because it's never happened to you. Anyone that's experienced salvation will be happy to tell you how much it means to them and how wonderful an experience it is to now walk and talk with the living God. God is no longer someone way out there beyond the ceiling, beyond the clouds, beyond the stratosphere. God is a personal God. And that's what happens with salvation. It's no longer, God, are you out there? Can you hear me? If you can, I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to get a moment of your attention. Prayer now is, oh, Heavenly Father, you're right here with me. I want to share with you my, my hurts and my problems. I want to ask you, what are your will for my life? I want to glorify you. God, please put a hedge of protection around me as I take step after step. You know, anyone here today who's not born again can be born again. You can be saved. There's nothing holding you back. Any man, woman, or young person that calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. That is the promise of God to you today. But being saved means faith. You need to exercise faith. In what? Faith in what God has said. And God has said that if we're not saved, we're going to end up in hell because of our sin. That's what God has said. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There is a hell out there. That's why men and women need to be saved, spiritually saved. Faith in what God says. Jesus is God in the flesh. Died for us on the cross. Was dead, buried, and rose again the third day. Hallelujah. He's alive. He's here with us today. He knocks on the heart's door. May I come in. May I be your Savior. May I be your Lord. And that moment when we sort of hear the still small voice of God. And we open the door. Jesus said, I will come in. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is one of these invisible things. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. If you're here today and you're not yet absolutely born again, please don't leave until you settle it with God. Now, for those of you who are saved, you know you're saved and on your way to heaven. I've shared with you a number of items today, the visible and the invisible. And I asked you, I said, if I could help you to see the invisible side of a few things, would that make coming to church worthwhile? And I think everyone nodded and many said, amen. I don't know if the Spirit of God spoke with your heart today. But if he did, there's a reason for it. And you need to act upon that. You need to use your faith in what God has just told you in your heart. And maybe it's a matter of being baptized or becoming a member. Maybe it's a matter of serving God. Maybe it's a matter of tithing, supporting faith promise. Maybe it's a matter of soul winning. 
Maybe God is calling someone here to full-time service to train and prepare his or her life to serve God in wonderful ways. You need to act upon that today. And the way I want to suggest you do is come forward on the invitation. If you can physically come forward, come forward on the invitation. Spend a minute on your knees with God. With the Savior who spent six hours on the cross for you. If you'd come and spend a minute with him in prayer today. Let's stand to our feet today for a word of prayer.